Al Jazeera podcast. It's harvest season in Turkey. The region known as the Turkish Fertile Crescent is usually bursting with crops like citruses, peppers, and pistachios. These fresh ingredients are part of the reason the southeast is famous for its culinary culture. Many Turks call the southeast as the gastronomic capital of Turkey. Recognized as the creative city of gastronomy, the first thing that comes to mind is food. But this year is different. It's been six months since a pair of powerful earthquakes hit the area. More than 50,000 people were killed as the earth was ripped apart. Farms that have been on the land for generations are now gone. And people living there worry that their past traditions and future hopes are gone too. There are projects to preserve the traditional culture there, but I'm not sure they will succeed if people have to leave the land. So what does Turkey's earthquake recovery look like? And can survivors plant the seeds to one day thrive again? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Southeast Turkey prides itself on its food culture that's been handed down through generations. It's how the people define themselves. We try to preserve our own food rituals. So this is basically using the same ingredients that we use, you know, since the last hundred years at least. So I think that makes us different. I'm Anna Maria Beynuni Olu. I'm a political scientist. I also trained as a chef. I'm not practicing cooking right now. We asked Anna to describe the importance of the Antakya region's food culture. She's a trained chef, but works mainly as an academic, teaching food, politics, and society at Koch University in Istanbul. I'm based in Istanbul, but my family, my culture is Antiochian culture in every sense. Antioch is one of the names that's been used for the ancient city in southeast Turkey, that also goes by Antakya and Hatay. In ancient times, the city was a key staging point on the Silk Road. Until recently, it was a multicultural, multi-religious place, home to Turks, Kurds, Armenians, Arabs, and Jews. Whatever you call it, there's one big thing to know. The food culture is very rich. The ingredients were fresh, and people of Antioch were used to those tastes, tastes from their own region grown in the region, for for example, if we focus on the pepper paste or tomato paste, this is a region where the sun lights, the angle is very right, it's very tasty. So we use it in almost every dish and it makes our taste. We actually believe that it represents our identity. You know, those foods we eat made of these ingredients in traditional way. We, we believe that we preserve our own identity through food. We feel that in our blood. That deep connection to the local food made the earthquakes all the more devastating. It basically affected people who grow 
those vegetables, they died. If they're alive, their relatives are dead. And most of the people have to think about the future of their children. And that, that actually, unfortunately, requires them to leave the land for the urban areas. So this will affect the potential of the region to grow certain ingredients. Anna says it's that bond with the soil that makes the taste of the region unique. Zaman, you would say that it's okay, you can buy the pepper paste from another place, but it doesn't taste the same. And when it doesn't taste the same, we don't feel our identity. We don't feel okay. On the morning after the earthquakes, Anna got to work immediately, collaborating with chefs and aid groups to set up soup kitchens for survivors. Buried under the rubble lie the kitchens and restaurants that once fed millions of people in the region. And that was one of the main priorities right after the quake struck. How to provide meals for those who have nothing to eat and nowhere to go. I think it was the 18th hour of the earthquake that they, were, they started serving soup in the region. But even she was surprised to discover just how much food could mean in a time of crisis. It was very interesting. The reports were saying that, you know, people were happy with the soup kitchens, but the chefs going to the region were from the West. So they they cooked whatever they found, and of course, with their own tradition. And people were, for them, you know, for the Antiochian people, it was very weird to drink a tarhana soup in a Western fashion. But that shows that even during the crisis, people need tastes similar to them. I mean, they, they feel safe if they have it. And one of the chefs from our community, living in Istanbul, at some point she was there and she prepared the, we have a kind of pilaf rice thing, but we, we cook it with bulgur and lentils. And she said that when she cooked it, people were really happy to see that food, you know, in that soup kitchen. So it's very important. People feel home when they eat a similar dish to their tradition. Maybe, yes, it's not necessary. It's an earthquake condition. But thinking about people's psychology, I think it's important to have those moments. Anna worries that those cherished food traditions that helped many get through the earthquakes won't survive far beyond them. The thing is, this was a danger I was seeing even before the earthquake. Antiochian food culture has been changing. People told me that even some of the paper paste and tomato paste in the center of Antioch, in the bazaars, are coming from Izmir. But with the earthquake, this actually faster because it is they don't have their homes now i mean they don't know if they are they are going to be built in the same way or not it will be enough for the whole family and actually children are hopeless and they want to go to urban areas so people tend to leave their land i'm really really concerned because for example i i talked to you about the pepper paste it's a very good example because there are different papers in, in the region. And one of them is from Altunazu. 
And Altenuzu pepper is a very different pepper. When you eat it, you feel hot in the mouth, but you don't digest it. So it's very good pepper. But, you know, even before the earthquake, I could only find, I don't know, one or two farmers that, is, that are growing that vegetable. What will happen if those two or three farmers leave the land? We won't have Altenuzu pepper. So we will lose the taste. As I said, if we, we lose the taste, we will lose our identity. After the break, the people fighting to keep that taste alive and the challenges they face. Ava Peron was a woman who beat the odds to become an inspiration to the people of Argentina. While powerful and popular, in hindsight, she was also complicated and controversial. I'm Charles Dance. Follow me as I follow the life of Ava Peron in Al Jazeera's docudrama series, Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. More than 100 million tons of debris was created by the collapsed buildings in Turkey's earthquake zone. The UN estimates that's more than any other disaster ever, and about 10 times more than the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. Tons upon tons of rubble await removal. And this is where scientists are warning of severe risks. The Turkish president pledged to rebuild the affected areas within a year. But the rush to clear away all that rubble has created more concerns about the land. In Hatay, the streets are still covered with dust. It's creating a very heavy, like, dust cloud in the city. Gonja Tokyol is a freelance journalist who's covered the southeastern region for years. She's seen and felt the cleanup process up close in Hatay province, one of Turkey's agricultural hubs. Experts have warned the rubble likely contains toxins like asbestos and heavy metals and shouldn't be dumped in undesignated areas. The officials said that they were going to like have some regulations about it, but it's not happening. It's still continuing. And then the places they are using to separate some other stuff are so close to the water sources, even in the city center and in Samandai, they are basically actually using a wetland, which is home to the birds of the region. Ganja is referring to the Mileha Bird Sanctuary, a wetland that's home to 282 species of birds and a key point on the migration map. So in another part of the city, a company just basically rented a valley with water sources and olive groves and etc. And they're dumping the rubble to there. So it's uncontrolled. It still continues like that after six months. I stopped being shocked. But Ganja says despite these challenges and concerns, the focus remains on bringing back any sense of normal life. People in Hatay are kind of paralyzed, so the ones who are still able to continue the production feels kind of like lucky because at least they have something to work on, distract them from the situations. But when I talked with 
uh, people from the agricultural chamber and etc. Their main fear is basically like if the city not comes back to the life with schools and social opportunities and like some kind of normalcy, they believe that the ones who left the city won't return and the number of the people who are living will increase. And with people's lives stuck in the middle of the earthquake's rubble, Ganja says a return to normalcy seems far away. It will be impossible for us to return to old days if we miss this chance to, like, rebuild something. People are also urgently trying to rebuild out in the growing fields. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, has been working to support farmers since the earthquakes. My name is Ayşe Gürsenişik. I am an assistant FAO representative for Turkey. So, part of the reason why these earthquakes were so devastating is because huge amounts of farmland in this region were completely destroyed. There was one really shocking image that I remember of an olive grove. This used to be a single olive grove, now separated by a deep canyon a mile and a half long. It's almost unbelievable to think what was there before. When the land is that badly damaged, what can be done to recover? Will it ever be able to be used again? Of course, of course, it will be used again, definitely. The earthquake affected around $6.3 billion damage and loss together. This is a huge amount, but with our close collaboration with the government, we distribute the seed, we distribute to some equipment, we distribute fertilizer, and it works. We have an earthquake response plan and covering towards six months and around $112 million and supporting the a rural community to be better even than before. There's a lot on the line for this recovery. You'll remember southeastern Turkey is known as the Turkish Fertile Crescent. Prior to the earthquakes, it contributed 15% of the national GDP. Together, the 11 affected provinces supply around a fifth of national agricultural output. And in some categories, they dominate with the majority of citrus fruit produced here, about three-quarters of the country's cotton, and nearly all of its pistachio nuts. And actually this area hosting around 14% of Turkey's farmers who are producing agricultural products, livestock products, fishery products. The area is important not only from the production-wise, but also from the export-wise and the trade. Ayşe Gul says that during her visits to the earthquake zone, she's been moved by how connected people still are with the land and their farms. She remembers seeing a family living in makeshift shelters use one of their only tents just to protect their animals. In the rural area, they were not only thinking about themselves, they were also thinking about their animals, their sheep, their cattle, and they want to continue their life also by doing the agricultural production. And of course, immediate support provided by different humanitarian partners to help them to stay alive. 
So Aisha Gun, what have some of the challenges been over the last six months based on what you're hearing and what people are telling you? I mean, the immediate challenges mainly on the essential inputs, such as fertilizers, such as seedling or seed, as they want to continue their production. But the, maybe the important challenge now, I mean, still labor force. The harvest season usually attracts seasonal workers, but that hasn't been the case this year. Farmers already had problems finding enough seasonal workers, but the quakes mean they would have around a third fewer than they need this year. For food academic and trained chef Anna, who calls Antakya home, this underscores her fears about the future of the region. Unfortunately, I do feel very hopeful. When I talked to the people, one woman said that her child didn't want to work because he said that, mother, you know, what's going to happen if I work? I mean, we, we lost everything in one and a half minutes. But those people want to go back to help to rebuild Antioch. But what's happening is that a state is not very open to listen to the wishes of the people. So it seems that they will build it in a different way. Of course, the aim is to build a safer Antioch, I mean, construction-wise. So what I hear is they will build it on the mountains, but to build on the mountains, they cut trees and so on. So that damages the agricultural land. So I don't think that this is the Antioch that Antiochians would like to see. And Anna's desire to preserve the past, even while rebuilding, is especially strong for food. Of course, everything has changed. I mean, since the history, maybe some of the people will, would think that it's not a big deal. But, you know, we like the way as it is now. And, you know, it's our mission, my mission, to preserve it. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn, with Zaina Bezer, Chloe K. Lee, Khalid Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Sonia Bagat, Ashish Malhotra, Veronisa Campana, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.